We are in uh, an era of fake news. You can't, you can't listen to uh, any newscast any day without hearing something about uh, fake news. And it's coming from those from every side of the political spectrum, uh, accusing those on the other side of putting out fake news. Now, that's, I think, a rather recent term. Uh, at least I don't remember it being around uh, in any kind of popularity like it is now. But, but it's not a recent concept. In fact, what we're looking at today when it comes to the resurrection, there are those on each side of that that would have, would have said the other side is putting out fake news. In fact, there were a, a, a number of attempts to rule out the reality of the resurrection. You had, for instance, those that would uh, seek to discredit the, uh, the documentary evidence, discredit the messengers. That's always uh, something that where uh, they would seek to do. But what we see is the messenger was brought by uh, competent, reputable people. The, the swoon theory, another theory that uh, some have put out there, the idea was that uh, uh, Jesus, well, he didn't really die. He merely went into a, a swoon, and uh, when they took him off the cross, and then they, they put him in the tomb, and when he got into the, the cool tomb, uh, he revived and eventually was able to get out and walk around. And so there was no resurrection. He had merely swooned. Of course, you can, you can see. And that, that has long been discredited. Uh, the idea that th these soldiers who were experts in death would not do their job on this one man would think he had died, but he didn't. The idea that uh, after what Jesus had been through in terms of uh, uh, the beatings and the torture and the dehydration and uh, the, the suffering on uh, the cross, the idea that he would be revived because of a laying in a tomb for several days, and then the idea that on those, those feet that had been destroyed with the spikes through them, that he would walk around and not seem to have any ill effects from it. You can see why the swoon theory has long been discredited. The fraud theory, we'll deal with these next three today, the, uh, the fraud theory that, that somebody actually stole the body and then they hid it and they circulated the rumor that he was resurrected or the mistake theory that the women actually 
went to the wrong tomb. And they went to an old deserted tomb and they found it to be empty and so that's why they thought there was a resurrection or the vision theory. The idea that appearances were just hallucinations. Of course, that assumes that the disciples expected him to rise, but it also makes Jesus guilty of deception. They're all very interesting, but none plausible, as we will see. Let's pray together. Lord, we, we want to know the truth. We really do. Because it makes all the difference in the world. Whether Jesus walked out of that grave or he didn't. And so will you teach us today. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want you to think for a moment, if uh, you were in a position of, of wanting to prevent a fake resurrection in that day. In other words, you, you heard that, that this man claimed that he was going to rise from the dead, and so you wanted to to make sure that nobody would somehow fake that. Several things you could do. One is you could see that the body was placed in an easy-to-find location. That was done when uh, we visited the Holy Land and went to Jerusalem. They have two main places where they uh, will take you and, and say that uh, these could have been. One of them claims it a little bit stronger, uh, uh, the one with the, the big old church over it, uh, uh, the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. And then there is the, the garden tomb. But both are in prominent places. Both are in places that would have been easy to identify and easy to find again. In addition, if you were wanting to prevent a, a, a fake resurrection, you would guard the body. And that was definitely done, as we will see. And then, when the, the inevitable fake resurrection happened, what you would do is you would simply produce the body. And that would be that. That would absolutely be the end of a fake resurrection. So as we look at these texts, there are a lot of things in uh, the, the Scripture, there are a lot of things about God that he asks us to, to take by Faith. There are a lot of things that <clears throat> we don't have a lot of evidence for. But when it comes to the resurrection, 
it's different. There is more evidence presented than most things that we accept as absolute history. Thomas Arnold called the resurrection the best attested fact in history. Now, maybe you won't go that far, but a lot of impartial uh, studiers have attested to its credibility. Sir Edward Clark, who was an attorney, said this, as a lawyer, I've made a prolonged study. I gave you this quote on the city. I've made a prolonged study of the evidences for the events of the first Easter day. To me, the evidence is conclusive, and over and over again in the high court, I have secured the verdict on evidence not nearly so compelling. The evidence is there. So let's look at some of the evidence that, that uh, God gives us in, in his word. First of all, we have the tomb. And we're going to look at it uh, right after Jesus' death in uh, Matthew 27. By the way, in your pew Bibles, that's page 835. That'll get you started, and then uh, you can follow along. We'll be in that area. Matthew 27. 57 says this. When it was evening... There came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb, and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. They knew where it was. That was the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. It was not in an obscure uh, place that could be mistaken. And if it were, it would would be easy enough for someone to say, well, that's not Joseph's tomb. Let's go ask Joseph where the the tomb is, and he could have taken them to the right tomb. Now, Matthew talks about this great stone. Mark, the Gospel of Mark, talks about it being exceedingly great. In fact, Mark records that the women going to the tomb were preoccupied with how they would move the stone. That's what they expected to find when they got to the tomb. And then we go on in Matthew 27, verse 65. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. So the idea of of the seal, it was an official uh, seal, probably a cord or a string that went Uh, clear across the whole entrance, the rock, and then would be sealed on each side. And to break that seal was to break Roman law. That was a serious thing. And then it mentions the guard. Verse 62. The next day, 
That is, after the day of the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees uh, gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how this imposter said while he was still alive, after three days I rise. See, there's the concern. There's going to be a fake resurrection. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he's risen from the dead. And that last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers, go make it as secure as you can, and, uh, and so on. And they set the guard. Now here, we, we read about the chief priest, we read about the, the Pharisees going to Pilate, appealing to him to get a guard on the tomb because he said he would rise on the third day. Now, they weren't worried about him rising. They were worried about somebody uh, stealing the body and then saying he had risen from the dead. And it says that they put a guard there. Now, when we, it sounds like from in, in our wording, okay, so they just kind of put a soldier there. Well, a guard was made up of at least four soldiers. Uh, a Roman guard would be. So here we have an account of those who would not call themselves believers. And these soldiers are given the task. I mean, I have to think, I, I wonder if these soldiers, uh, what they thought about this assignment. You four guys are going to go, we're going to go guard a dead man's tomb? Who's going to attack the tomb? Those, those guys that all ran away, they're going to come? Maybe they wondered, what did we do wrong to get this assignment? But it's likely they thought, this is going to be an easy assignment. There's not going to be any disturbance here. Now, later on, we see the, woman, the women going to the tomb, Luke 24. We're going to be back in Matthew, so you can keep your finger there, but in Luke 24, that's on 884. <laughs> but on the first day of the week, this is uh, the first verse, at early dawn they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, and when they went, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Stone is rolled away. Now compare that with Matthew 28, verse 5. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he's risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. So, Back in Luke, it, it says the, the tomb was empty, the stone was rolled away. Let me give you a little side note here that is not unimportant. And that is, uh, if the resurrection were a tale that uh, someone were going to try to make up, they're, they're creating this, this legend, and they wanted... They want all the people in the area and in, in their era and for a long time to believe it. We have a critical 
flaw right here. And that is that the first witnesses of the empty tomb were women. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't see that as a flaw. But let me put this in context in this day. Celsus, who was a Greek philosopher, lived in the second century, and he did not like Christianity. He said one of the the greatest arguments, uh, the most telling arguments against Christianity, he said it just can't be true because the written accounts of the resurrection are based on the testimony of women, and we all know women are hysterical. I didn't say that. Celsus, this pagan philosopher, said that. Do you see his point, though? He, he's using that to say it, it, it just simply it, it can't be true. Christian philosopher J.P. Moreland says this, in the first century Judaism, a woman's testimony was virtually worthless. A woman was not allowed to give testimony in a court of law except on rare occasions. No one would have invented a story and made women the first witnesses to the empty tomb. That fact is included in the Gospels because the Gospels are attempting to describe what actually happened. You get it? So, what, they're, what, what we're saying is uh, if someone made the story up, they would have made men the first witnesses if they wanted others to believe it. But they didn't make it up. They were just telling what happened, being honest about what happened. And if anything, that gives credibility to this account. We go on and see in, in Luke 24, where he talks about the grave clothes, verse 12. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. And John, it, it says the handkerchief from around the head was folded together in a place by itself. So here we have inside the tomb this peaceful scene where that battered body had been laid. And then we see the guard story. Matthew 28, verse 11. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while, he, while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And that story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now here's the problem. <laughs> that is a weak story. <laughs> Think about it. If they had admitted they were asleep, they would have been executed. They came while we were asleep. Oh, well, then, you, you know, you're worthless. 
You'll be executed for that. That was abandoning their post. Now again, it doesn't say how many, but there were probably at least four of them. The likelihood of all four of them being asleep at the the same time, it's a ludicrous story. Further, if they were all asleep, okay, all four, okay, we'll, we'll accept it, all four were asleep, how do you know it was the disciples that stole him away? If nobody saw him because you were asleep. Now, apparently, though, it was a good enough story for them and many others who accepted it to be true. That's fake news. Some will go to all lengths to deny the resurrection. The soldiers were apparently the only human eyewitnesses. And the chief priests heard the truth, but both chose to deny it. And then we move on to the appearances. Over on page 961, in 1 Corinthians 15, It talks about some of the appearances. Don't ever underestimate this. So we have the the empty tomb and then the appearances. It says this, verse 4, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, and then the twelve. He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. You add those appearances to Mary in the garden, the women by the wayside, the disciples on the road to, uh, to Emmaus, to Thomas, the seven disciples on the seashore. Maybe it was hallucinations. Maybe that's what happened. Well, the problem is it was to all sorts of people in all sorts of different circumstances and times. And then the appearances suddenly stopped. According to Michael Lycona, Since hallucinations are mental events with no external referent, we'll explain that in a minute, one cannot share in the hallucinations of another. So what he's saying is the very nature of hallucinations, it's something that is just you. It's it's not all of us will hallucinate the exact same thing at the same time That's not how they work. Typically in hallucinations also you expect, or at least you want to see something. Remember, the women were going to the the tomb to continue to prepare the body. They were taking spices with them. They didn't expect to see an empty tomb. The disciples, when they heard it, didn't believe the women. Women are hysterical, remember? Others were frightened. 
and thought it was a ghost. Those don't fit with hallucinations. Now, if you're going to fake a resurrection, you don't tell the story to those who can go to people to check it out. You don't, you don't say, look, these people are still alive. And this was in, you know, a couple of decades. Said, look, here's the names of the people that went to the tomb. Go talk to them. And you just don't do that when you're trying to, to fake something. The disciples went to their deaths and none of them, not one, said the resurrection did not happen. Chuck Colson, that many of you remember from being prosecuted because of Watergate, he said, I believe in the resurrection because of Watergate. Here's why. He said, when it, when it comes to Jesus, you have these 12 feeble weaklings who went for 40 years, some of them, and continued with the same account. They carried that truth with them and never wavered. He said, with, with Watergate, we had 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and we couldn't keep alive for three weeks. He said, to think that the disciples would go for that long is just impossible to believe. Typically, people won't die for something they know to be a lie. Liars make poor martyrs. They just won't. Okay, you might say, well, look, come on now. You're, you're just using the Bible to prove the resurrection. What if I don't believe what the Bible says? What about those who weren't friends of Jesus? What about the enemies of Jesus? When the disciples began to preach the gospel and the resurrection in Jerusalem... The very city where he was uh, killed and buried, no one challenged the facts. We don't have any record of them challenging the facts. They didn't like it. They told him to stop preaching that. But they didn't challenge the fact. They were silent in terms of the resurrection. One historian wrote, the silence of the Jews speaks louder than the voice of the Christians. They were unwilling to question that fact. The only response of the enemies toward the Christians was the great persecution. We'll make them quit talking about it. We need to understand as well that the Christian church would never have gotten off the ground if the resurrection were disproved. All they had to do, one simple thing, produce the body. And that would have been that. Another proof is the, are the transformed lives. After Jesus' death, you have a bunch of followers that were convinced that 
Jesus was not the expected Messiah because he died. You have a, a band of disillusioned men who all of the sudden turn the world upside down and you have men like Peter, the denier, becoming Peter, the preacher, the professor. You have Saul, the persecutor of Christ, becoming Paul, the apostle of Christ. And you have Thomas, the doubter, becoming Thomas, the one who cries out, my Lord and my God, what explains the transformation of those lives and the millions that have followed. And then it's the church itself, perhaps the hardest thing for others to explain. The disciples, if there was no resurrection, had no incentive to start a church. If all that happened was the crucifixion and burial, church would have never begun. In fact, history tells us that, that there were dozens of, of those that claimed to be messiahs during that same era and before and after. What happened to those messiahs? Well, they either were killed or they died. And what happened then? Their followers dissipated. It was over. Here's what happened when Jesus walked out of the tomb. Not only did Christianity not collapse, but it grew. It exploded. In the first 300 years, it had spread through the whole of the Roman Empire, and it is continuing to today. Why? Because of what happened after his death. And here is what happened. Matthew 28. After the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And so it is left for you, for us, to risk your eternity by not believing the resurrection or believing that Jesus is alive and living. Let's bow together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that 
You not only walked out of the tomb, you not only were resurrected from the dead, but you are alive today. Thank you for your presence. Will you draw us today to yourself? Give us faith to believe. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.